Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Come on, tell somebody how good God has been to you. Has he been good? Amen. All the time, every day. Tell you one thing as a church we're probably thankful for today. Anybody thankful for coffee and donuts? Amen. I don't know about you, but just coffee and donuts. I don't drink coffee, but I do partake of the donuts. Um, it leads me to believe we are, if ever so slightly, getting back to a little bit of normal kind of schedule. From just about the moment we moved into this, into this new building, I, you know, I think our time of fellowship, breakfast, has kind of been a staple of our Sunday morning experience, and it was nice to enjoy it again. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus chapter 20. And while you're turning there, I do want to take a moment and give honor where it's due. And so I honor and thank Pastor for this opportunity to stand in front of you and minister the word. I truly respect this pulpit and platform and the responsibility that comes with standing behind it. And I also give honor to Brother Roberts as well. I really look up to Brother Roberts, and I try my best to learn from his example. He's a tremendous teacher of the word, and if I can in any way emulate, copy, shine a spotlight on the word like he has, I believe I'm headed in the right direction. And no, he didn't pay me to say that, but it's true. And if you're a guest today, you owe it to yourself to hear our pastor, Pastor Satan, preach, and our assistant pastor, Brother Roberts, teach. We as a church may be biased, but we have the best of the best here. Would you guys agree with me on that? Amen. So I know we're standing for the word, and I appreciate that. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 22. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. King James is on the screen. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. You saw for yourselves that I spoke to you from heaven. Remember, you must not make any idols of silver or gold to rival me. Build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me, your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle. Build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered, and I will come to you and bless you. If you use stones to build my altar, use only natural, uncut stones. Do not shape the stones with a tool, for that would make the altar unfit for holy use. And I have one more portion of scripture to read this morning. A few chapters later, turn to Exodus chapter 27. And again, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. In verse 1, it says, using acacia wood. I think King James Version says, make an altar of shittim wood. Using acacia wood, construct a square altar. Feet seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet long, and four and a half feet high. Make horns for each of its four corners so that the horns and altar are all one piece. Overlay the altar with bronze. Verse 3, make ash buckets, shovels, basins, meat forks, and fire pans, all of bronze. Make a bronze grating for it and attach four bronze rings at its four corners. Install the grating halfway down the side of the altar under the ledge for carrying the altar. 
make poles from acacia wood and overlay them with bronze. Insert the poles through the rings on the two sides of the altar, and the altar must be hollow, made from planks. Build it just as you were shown on the mountain. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer this morning? Lord Jesus, God, I thank you for your word, Lord. God, I thank you that it challenges us, God. It provokes us, God. It leads us closer and closer to you, God, and we can see a reflection, oh God, of where we stand with you every time we open up your word. God, I pray, let the word of God, God, be spoken with clarity today, God. Let it touch someone, and I pray it all in the name of Jesus, amen. And you may be seated. In both of the scripture passages we read this morning, we find that God is speaking to Moses. Many of you know the story, but I want to take a moment and lay a little foundation I don't know if you guys can see it on the screen. It's a little dark. There it is, my slides. Um, For the sake of time, I don't want you to just take my word for this. You really need to read it for yourself. But here is the Trey Henderson summary. The children of Israel, in the preceding chapters before chapter 20 of Exodus, the children of Israel have been freed from their taskmasters in Egypt and find themselves no longer under captivity and bondage. Moses has led them out of Egypt following God's command. The Egyptian horses and riders, Pharaoh, has now been defeated, lost in the Red Sea. But now, since they have come out from Egypt, they don't know how to live. In Egypt, and specifically in Goshen, they were comfortable with their life. They had a good life. The favor of God was on them. However, God had made a promise to their forefathers And there was a promised land waiting for them. They weren't supposed to stay in Egypt, which is where they were comfortable. And in the preceding chapters, although now free and God has done miracle after miracle in and among them, we find them oftentimes murmuring and complaining and comparing their current predicament in the wilderness to Egypt. They kept comparing themselves to the world. Has anyone ever been there? You think it's Greener on the other side, but how many know the pasture is not, it's not greener? It may look greener. It may even appear greener. You can touch it, but there are some consequences that come with that. And so after messing up a couple of different times and making a golden calf image and behaving like the world that they were being pulled out from or separated to God from, God has seemingly had enough at this point. And so in Exodus chapter 20, it's a very important chapter of the Bible. This is the chapter where God lays out his Ten Commandments. He says, there is only one God, and Deuteronomy 6.4 echoes that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't take the, the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Honor thy father and mother. Do not murder or commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't envy or covet anything that your neighbor has. That's the list of the Ten Commandments. So this is where we find God telling his people how they're supposed to live. This is what living for God looks like. And so in that chapter of Exodus chapter 20, in verse 20, it says this, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you. This is the reason God has given the Ten Commandments to you. It's to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces. It's so you don't sin, that you sin not. It says God gave us these commandments to prove us, to test us, so that we reverence him and draw close to him. It's not a list of rules. How many understand that? 
because the ultimate reason is God doesn't want us to sin. God doesn't want you or me to fall into sin, but we're human, we're flesh. We are carnal, and unfortunately, until we make it to heaven, we're far from perfect. So moving down into verse 24 of that chapter, yes, he doesn't want us to sin, but while we're living in this corruptible body, we fall short sometimes. So he, he commands his people to build an altar. We read it, an altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shall sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and bless thee. So I really don't know the best title for this lesson today, but I want to teach on the importance or the power or the need for the altar. So this has kind of been an abnormal week in the Henderson household. My dad always gets on me by talking about my family, but both my wife and I were preparing to teach. And I'll throw out here, ladies, if you're, you don't want to miss ladies meeting this week because my wife is teaching. You really don't want to miss, miss any week honestly. But if you haven't been attending, this is a good week to start. That's a little plug. Amen. But it was interesting this week because although on the outside, we both look drastically different. My wife was laboring hard over her notes and she was looking at me like, why do you do it so easy? But on the inside, I was feeling the same way she was. I was nervous. I was anticipating this lesson because Really, God is already speaking to me about it. And so usually whenever I get up here to teach, it's on a topic that God is already convicting me of, and, and this time is no different. So if I'm speaking to anyone today, I'm speaking to myself. So let's jump in. For those of you taking notes this morning, I've broken down this lesson into three sections. The first section or series of points I want to discuss is the purpose of the altar. As I was studying this topic, I found this. Whenever we find an altar in scripture, its purpose or importance was for kind of three reasons. If you dig deeper into this, though, every reason or purpose of an altar, they're all, all three of these purposes are kind of in, intermingled together. You can't have one purpose without the other. All of them are connected. And so there is really no, um, there's really no order of importance here, but the first reason or purpose for you to build an altar is this, and that is worship. The definition of an altar is that it's a place, in some cases an elevated place, or a structure or a platform where religious rites are performed. More simply, we can say it's a place where we acknowledge God, where we call upon his name. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7, it says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram. And said, unto thy seed I will give this land. And there we find he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. The Bible says, and he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. Other translations of this verse read that he dedicated the altar unto the Lord, and he worshiped. Translations go a little bit deeper. He worshiped through prayer. He worshiped in his praise and also in thanksgiving. Psalms 43 and 3 says, O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto the holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then 
will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my continents and my God. How many of you can testify to building an altar of worship to the Lord? Moments that you can look back on and say, this was the moment that I called on his name and he responded when I had need of him. And sometimes, you know, you don't have to build an altar of worship just for a need, but we should also build an altar of worship simply because we must give him the praise and the glory that he's worthy of. The Bible tells me if I don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a rock to cry out in my place. And so the first purpose of an altar is worship. As, as believers, I think that's an easy one to grasp, but sometimes we need a little reminder. The second purpose or reason for an altar is for a memorial or a witness. I got a lot of scripture today, so if you're taking notes, please write these down. But Exodus chapter 17 and verse 14 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. And rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. The Bible says, and Moses built an altar there and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. How many of you have an altar of memorial? Do you? You should. Amen. You should be cementing the promise in the name of Jesus. If you need to build an altar of memorial, make an altar so you never forget what God has promised you and so you never forget what God has done for you. Jehovah Nissi is the Lord is my banner. But how many know he's also our healer, our provider, our way maker, our peace, my strength, and my joy? If the Lord has ever been that for you, you need to cement that and build an altar of memorial. For me, I'll never forget how God healed and made a way for my wife and I. After doctors said it wouldn't happen, God blessed us, and now we have three beautiful children. We have built an altar of memorial on that, that God is able and he's faithful. Joshua 22 and verse 26 says, therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, but this altar is that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings. It's so that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. The altar of memorial and the testimony of God coming through for me also serves as a witness that he can do it for somebody else. Along your journey with the Lord, hopefully you're also building altars that serve as a witness. Many of us today are here because someone else's life or testimony has been uplifting and encouraging when we've needed it. We've looked at their altar of witness and said, man, if God can do it for them, then sure enough, he can do it for me. And I challenge you today to build an altar of memorial and build an altar as a witness. In this world we live in, that's what they're looking for. 
They're not looking for some, you know, dramatic experience with God. They're looking at you and I as a witness. And we need that altar to be a witness unto them. The next purpose of the altar is one that we can all pretty much figure out, and that's for offerings and sacrifices. For sacrifices, sorry. We need an altar for repentance and for the forgiveness of God. The altar is a place of atonement and where sin and carnality can be dealt with. We read it earlier in our opening text, but Exodus chapter 27, verses 1 through 8, they outline God's command of how to build the brazen altar. That's what that picture up there is, is, a, is a picture of. This altar was part of the tabernacle, both when it was mobile in a tent, Moses, when he would build it and lead the children of Israel. And later on, the tabernacle that King Solomon built, this altar would also be there. This altar, though, was situated in the outer court of the temple. It was the first thing when you were making your way through the house of the Lord, when the priests and everyone was operating in the temple. This was the first thing you encountered on your path. You could not get to the Holy of Holies. You couldn't get to the place where the presence of God dwelt by bypassing the altar. Before anything else, sin had to be dealt with. Many of us have made application of the tabernacle plan in our lives. We've prayed it. We've studied it. We've applied it. We base and even model our services after it, believe it or not. Pastor didn't just come up with the plan of opening service with prayer, two songs, announcements, some more songs, preaching, and then an altar call. There's a, there's a purpose behind what we do, and it all starts with the altar. That's why you hear our pastor and assistant pastor talk about the importance of pre-service prayer. I'm not here to harp on that, but it's because they recognize the importance of the altar. It's important to have sin addressed. It's important, and I'd say it's a fundamental part of the process or the purpose of the altar. And so now I'd like to transition to the second part I want to talk about this morning, and that are... I don't know what the title is. It can be traits. It can be attributes, characteristics of, of the altar. These are things you got to know about an altar. And the next set of points, they're really simple. But oftentimes, if you call yourself a potential follower of Jesus Christ, it's right here. These next few points can be the deal breakers. This is where people start drawing the line and say, ah, I don't know if I can handle that. Many people have turned away from God because my first point is that the altar, it doesn't build itself. Walking with the Lord requires work. Certainly spiritually, emotionally, mentally, I'd even add physically. Y'all are looking at me like, really, physically? Yes. I'd say most definitely physically it requires work. You know, being on this platform, having a chance to sing and and even stand in front of you today, it gives me a different perspective than the folks sitting in the audience and looking up here. Folded arms, un, un, uninterested people, or, you know, people who have a neg negative body language, it completely halts the move of God. You guys may not know that, but from standing up here, it's obvious where God is starting to move and where he's not moving because of the body language people have. We know that God is a respecter of persons. He's not going to move on you when you present that type of environment. He's not. I've never seen anyone get the Holy Ghost without moving their mouth. 
That's a physical action. It's essentially that we have to physically see the evidence of you speaking in tongues to know that you've been baptized with the Holy Ghost. So, yes, physically it requires effort for you to build an altar. An altar, it requires time spent digging, building, seeking God. It mandates effort. It's a prerequisite. Anybody hate those prerequisites in college and in school? But you have to understand, you don't just stumble upon an altar. A lot of people think we can bypass this essential point. You think someone else can build your altar. Or a pastor can build your altar. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Luke chapter 9 and, and 23, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I would add here, and this sort of kind of bleeds to my next point, but if you build it, if you're going to build an altar, then it also means you got to upkeep it. You're responsible for maintaining it. This has been where God has been speaking to me. If any point God's convicted me, it's this point right here. Because as a father, I want my children to see me building and maintaining my altar. Have I let the wind and the waves of life trap me or put me in a position? Or have I made so many excuses to the point where I've started to neglect my altar? Do I even remember what my altar looks like? Do I remember how to get back to that place where my altar is? I really want to teach my children how to build their own altars, how to call on the name of the Lord, how to build a memorial and be a witness to someone, how to sacrifice and allow God to remove sin from their life. And during any time in their life, whether it's a good point or a bad point, whether they're young or they're old, I want them to see me and know this is how you build an altar. They need to understand that it's going to take work. And so the second point I want to make here about a trade or, or what you need to know about the altar is that the altar is a place we must visit often. As humans, we like to get away with the least amount of effort sometimes. How many times do I need to go to the altar? Every service? Every month? Every day do I need to build my altar? What's too much? What's too little? Personally, I can't answer that question for you. All I can do is show you what's done in Scripture and correlate it to where we are today. For the sake of time this morning, I don't want to get too deep into this because this is a deep topic. But we touched a little bit, and, and the picture's up there of the brazen altar. In Exodus, in both Exodus and Leviticus, God commanded them how the altar was to be built, but also how it was to be used. God commanded offerings and sacrifices to be done at the altar. Again, I don't want to get too deep, but there were six main offerings. Burn offerings, meal offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, trespass offerings, drink offerings. There were even some minor ones like a wave offering or a heave offering. If you've ever read through Exodus or Leviticus, you've probably read about these. You probably, like me, even skipped over a ton of those scriptures because they seem very repetitive. But the point is, God was extremely thorough when he commanded this. And different combinations of these offerings were used for different purposes. 
Here's an example, Exodus 29 and 24. Again, this is just so you guys can kind of see. And it says, and thou shalt put all in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his son and shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. There's one. And thou shalt receive them of their hands and burn them upon the altar for a burnt offering. For a sweet savor before the Lord is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And thou shalt take the breast of the ram for Aaron's, of Aaron's consecration and wave it for a wave offering. Again, we see an offering here before the Lord. And it shall be thy part. And thou shalt sanctify the breast of the wave offering and the shoulder of the heave offering. Again, more and more offerings, which is waved and which is heaved up of the ram of consecration even of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. A good example there. There's a whole lot happening, and we can get confused so easily. But I want you to understand the altar, God had a specific plan for it, and it was used for various offerings and sacrifices. But to further emphasize this point, for the sake of time, let's just focus on the burnt offering for a second. Later on in that chapter of Exodus 29, Look at this in verse 38. It says, now this is that which thou shalt offer unto the altar. This is what you got to do, the Lord says. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. Somebody say day by day. It says in verse 39, thou shalt, I mean, sorry, getting ahead of myself. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning. And the other lamb you got to offer in the evening. And with the lamb... A tenth deal of flour mingled with the fourth part of a hen of beaten oil and the fourth part of a hen of wine for a drink offering. And the other lamb thou shalt offer at evening and shall do thereto according to the meat offering of the morning. Do the same thing in the evening that you did under the morning. According to the drink offering thereof for its sweet savor an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Verse 42 says this shall be a continual burnt offering. Throughout your generations, at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. This is where I will meet you, he says, and this is where I will speak to you. So I can go on and on here, but again, I don't want to get too deep. But verse 39 that we just read described that every morning a lamb was offered, and then every evening a lamb was offered. So the question I had at this point was, how many times do we need to attend to the altar? Again, I don't know where God is leading you. Only you can answer that question. But my Bible tells me on the burnt offering alone, we're not talking about any other offerings here. On the burnt offering alone, it was done every day, in the morning and in the evening. It was also done, if you read into it, every Sabbath day. Every month it was done. Every feast that the children of Israel had, it was done. It was done in consecration. It was done in dedication. It was done whenever anyone needed cleansing. It was done when anyone had to complete an oath. God commanded the burnt offering to be done at the altar. So what does that mean to us? It means we need to visit our own altar often. I don't know if I can even give a limit or even attach a number to it. How many? I don't know. But all I know is that when we visit the altar... It's a constant reminder to us of who God is. So don't neglect the altar in your life. The next attribute or characteristic of the altar I want to talk about is that the altar is not a convenient place. Even some say, or I would even go farther and say it's not a comfortable place. And I'll talk about this here. But how many in here enjoy convenience? Would you raise your hand? 
half of y'all are lying. So because I only saw half participation there. Only a few of you are telling the truth. The rest of you need to find an altar <laughs> right now and ask God to forgive you. We as humans, we like convenience. I wish I could say it's part of our nature, but I don't have concrete facts to back that up. But suffice to say, we don't enjoy doing hard things or things that are difficult when there's an easier way to do it. Like water, we want the path of least resistance. How many of you are raising your hand and saying, you know what, I want to go back to those days, what, 15 years ago? Anybody remember dial-up internet taking 30 minutes to get online? Now you got internet at the blink of an eye, right? Who wants to go back? Nobody. We enjoy convenience. Sorry for that little side note. It was in my notes. I put it there because it was the first thought that came to me when I thought about convenience. But how many of you have ever tried to, con tried to mix convenience in God? Have you ever tried to do that? The results usually don't end well, not on God's side, but on our side when we try to, to do that. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, And the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. David says, Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God, of that which does cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. Brother Josh Johnson preached this not too long ago and did a fantastic job. But building your altar and allowing God to work in your life has a cost to it. It's not convenient. And really, when you dig into it, it's not convenient. It's, it's like that by design. If I could put it another way, the altar is also, it's not a comfortable place. It's a messy place. You will be changed at an altar. If you come to the altar and you leave the same way you came, Something went drastically wrong, and that problem never comes from God's side. Maybe you're trying to mix convenience and God, as I mentioned earlier. We got to recognize the power of the altar, but also understand the process of the altar. I just said it, but the altar is a messy place. Understand something, though. It's messy by design. This right here was eye-opening to me, but if you live during the time of Moses— whether you were children of Israel, whether you were part of them, or whether you were a stranger that joined, themselves, joined their, yourself to them, you had to follow the same process when it came to offering and sacrifices. Here's what you had to do. Again, this is just the burnt offering I'm talking about. Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 1 says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying this, Speak unto the children of Israel. And say unto them, if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring an offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. In verse 3, if his offering be a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. If you're taking notes or if you're in your Bible, why don't you underline that part? A male without blemish. We're going to come back to it. Maybe you already know where I'm going. It says he shall offer it of his own voluntary will. 
at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. In verse 4, and he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priest. Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle, and sprinkle the blood round about unto the altar, upon the altar. That is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Verse 6, and he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. Verse 8, and the priest, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But his inwards, the animal that's been cut open now, his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water. And the priest shall then burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. That's a whole lot of scripture there. But I want to recap here for a bit to make my point. If you were to offer a burnt, a burnt offering unto the Lord, here's what you had to do. You had to bring your offering to the front door of the tabernacle to the brazen altar. You, not the priest, you, the offerer. Then you had to lay your hand on the animal, the lamb, identifying with it, displaying that it's yours. It's nobody else's. This is mine. Then you, not the priest, then you had to kill that animal and shed that animal's blood, which then the priest, this is where the priest comes in, then the priest would take the blood that you just shed, then he would sprinkle it around the altar. Then you, not the priest again, then you had to skin that animal and you had to cut it into pieces. Then the priest would take those pieces that you just cut and put those on the altar. Then you, again, you feel the work you got to do here. Then you, not the priest, had to wash the inwards and the legs of that animal with water. Then you give it back to the priest. The priest would then place that on the altar. Then you're finally done. Then the priest would burn all of that animal completely as a pleasant smell to God. Now, I don't know about you, but if it were me, no way would I enter into this process and look the same when I'm done. I would undoubtedly have some blood on me. I would have some water on me. And I would also probably have the scent of the fire on me. That can preach right there. Lord. The altar is a messy place. And it's like that by God's design. And that leads me to my last point about the attributes and characteristics of the altar. Death takes place at the altar. We already touched on different offerings and sacrifices done at the altar. But understand, since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, all of humanity has needed the death of an innocent to atone for our sin. You may have started to notice the theme as I went through there. Mankind, you and I, unfortunately, we have an undeniably sinful nature. As I talked about earlier, when God drew the children of Israel out of Egypt to be his people. He gave them a long list of laws and commandments, things they had to abide by, laws against murder and stealing and laws mandating the care of widows and the poor. Over and over and over, God tells them, this is how you must live. But despite all that, the people 
still couldn't live up to those standards. They still sinned, and they sinned repeatedly before God, and they needed a covering. Therefore, God instituted the altar and sacrifice as something they must do. We read this a few minutes ago, but let's look at Leviticus chapter 1 again. And the Lord called unto Moses, and he spake to them out of the tabernacle, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If anybody wants to make an offering unto me, you got to bring your offering of cattle and the herd and the flock. And your offering, if it's going to be a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. God was very specific here in what and who had to die on the altar. How many know today we serve a God who loves us so much that he robed himself in flesh, willingly took our place and died for us? Anybody thankful and grateful for Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. Amen. John 1 and 1, John the Baptist had it right all along. The Bible says, and John saw Jesus coming to him in John 1 and 29. And he said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. In Leviticus, we read it had to be a male without blemish. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God was perfect, innocent, and he willingly placed himself on the cross. He placed himself on an altar so that we wouldn't have to stay in bondage to sin, so that we can overcome it, so that we can freely commune with him. Amen. So now I want to talk about the next section of, these, of this lesson, and that is simply how do we apply the altar in our lives? Now that we know the purpose of the altar, we know what it's going to take to build an altar. How do we apply that to our lives? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, a very popular portion of scripture. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, many of you can quote it, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Many of us have heard and studied that verse. But the simple truth of it is that you have to put in time with the Lord. Thankfully, and I'm truly thankful, you and I don't need to examine our flocks. Bo, you don't have to go outside in your barn and look at your animals and say, oh, that one's got a speckle. That one's got a spot on it. I can't use that one today. Thankfully, we don't have to do that. We don't have to physically kill an animal on an altar. But we should, and hopefully you're doing it. We do every day need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. Not just once in a blue moon, not just when you come to church, but that sacrifice of the burnt offering told me every morning, every evening, often and often I need to be visiting my altar. I touch on the brazen altar, which was part of the tabernacle, but one of the simplest ways we can spiritually build and model the altar in our lives is prayer and repentance. Every time you repent for yourself or for your family, what you're doing in the spiritual is you're offering a sacrifice. You're making an offering unto the Lord. You're building your altar, allowing God to forgive. Just like the children of Israel showed us, this should be a process we do often. 
Forgiveness and atonement for your sins is absolutely vital to your walk with God. Your salvation depends upon it. But you're missing out if all you do is build altars of repentance. And unfortunately, that's sometimes what people do. How many know someone or have ever been in that place where every time you come to church, you're stuck asking God to forgive you. God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. God, I repent. I repent. I repent. That's all part of it. You need to build that altar. But that's not the only altar to build. You got to, in addition to building altars of repentance, you got to build altars of worship and thanksgiving. God, I just want to give you the praise that you're worthy of, Lord. God, I worship you just for who you are. God, I give you praise for everything that you've done for me. I know I'm not worthy of it, God, but I give you praise for everything you've done for me. And we also have to build altars of memorial where we submit and claim the promises God has called over our lives. Would it be a shame if you forgot a promise God made to you? Wouldn't that be a shame? God promised it to you. Five years down the road, it still hasn't happened, and we just we throw it to the wayside. God, I... I don't know, God, you're not going to do that for me, so I'm just going to leave that over there. And oftentimes, if we just upkeep and remember that memorial, God, this is your word, not mine. You promised you would do it, God. If we would just remember that memorial, boy, would that strengthen us. Boy, would that rejuvenate us and add hope to us. Amen? Because God is the keeper of his word. How about this one? Share your testimony. Testify. Some of you don't think you got a testimony, but you do. Every time we tell and show others how God has blessed us and kept us, we are letting our altar be a witness. This should be, and I pray, this is how we apply that. This is how we visit the altar often. This is how we build it and how we maintain it. The next way to apply the altar in our lives is powerful, and that is apply the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Revelation 12 and 11 says, And they overcame him, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Isaiah 53 and 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we know this, but sometimes we just need a reminder that there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood, right, of the Lamb. How many need that reminder? There is still power in the blood. We need the blood of Jesus. We can't get enough of the blood of Jesus. One drop of his blood will wipe away a multitude of sin. Amen. Come on, somebody. The enemy. You think the enemy is attacking you. The enemy can't penetrate the blood. So plead the blood over your family. Plead the blood over your life, over your friends. Plead the blood over the body. Plead the blood over the church, over your pastor, over your finances, over your health. Is anybody getting the picture yet? Plead the blood. Apply it to your life. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us 
from all sin. I studied this verse for about 20, 30 minutes last night, and it was eye-opening to me. The phrase at the beginning says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We're talking about applying the altar right now. In the Hebrew and the Greek, this is what that phrase means. If you, it says if you walk in the light, but what it says or what it means in the Hebrew is if you make your way in the light. If you, anytime the wind hits you, the the mountain is in your way, if you keep progressing in the light, okay? If you conduct yourself in the light, if you dwell in the light, some of y'all are like, Trey, Brother Trey, I'm starting to get the point. You really are. But, but here, let me get a little deeper. If you take the time to get closer and closer to Jesus, no matter what comes your way, no matter the mountain, no matter the storm, no matter the tribulation, no matter the trial, if you take your time to get closer and closer to God, then it promises us we will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. That means in your struggle, keep walking in the light. The blood will be applied. In your pain, keep walking in the light. The blood will be applied. That's how we apply the altar in our lives. Please stand with me this morning as I begin to come to a close. Every Sunday, after pastor or the preacher preaches, we know there is a what? There's an altar call. Unfortunately and sadly, many people like to check out at this point, feel it's their cue to leave. But really, this is the most important part of the service. If the altar call is a bust, then the service is a bust. Pastor, please correct me if I'm wrong. Please do. But the whole reason why we worship, the whole reason why pastor preaches as hard as he does, is so God can move on the hearts and minds of the people during the altar call. Yes, we call this, what, 20-foot space from the pulpit to the first pew. We call that the altar. But the altar really takes place in the spiritual. I mentioned earlier, we don't have to kill an animal and place it on an altar. It's at the altar where God begins to pour out the fire of the Holy Ghost. And he starts to consume, just like that offering is consumed in the fire. He starts to consume those dead areas of our life, those carnal parts of us, and he starts to bring new life to us. It's at an altar where the fire of the Holy Ghost can strip away those things that are hindering your walk with God. It's at an altar where God can strip away those areas you struggle with. You struggle with jealousy. You struggle with bitterness. You struggle with insecurities. It's at an altar where God can begin to deal with those things. So the final way to apply the altar is to respond when the call is given. Let the fire of the Holy Ghost work on you. Don't run from it. Don't think that, ah, he's talking to somebody else. God's talking to somebody else right now. This is not for me. No, it's exactly for you. And so in closing, if you believe that and you're willing to do that, would you take a moment and just build an altar of worship unto the Lord right now? Give God some praise. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait.